Okay, guys, we're in Romans chapter 7, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, we're in lesson 15, and we're going to finish up chapter 7 today. Now, I told you before that chapter 7 uh, can, is, is, is an interesting chapter. I think it's a, an important chapter for you and I, but it's also a chapter that has created some different controversies as far as who Paul is talking about. And we're going to talk about that when we get into our lesson. But what I want you to see is, is Paul's going, is, is, he's really addressing some questions that they might have concerning this whole issue of grace and the whole issue of you living for Jesus because of that grace. But there's a problem that all of us have. We want to live for Christ. We want to do what he wants us to do. We want to live not yielding our bodies to sin, like he talked about in chapter 6. But the problem is, you sin. Right? Now, does anybody have that problem here? I think we all do, right? If you don't think you got a problem with sin, we, we need to have a discussion. We'll talk to you, because you're, you haven't clued in yet, okay? That, that you don't do right things. So he's going to talk about that continual struggle because here you are, you have this justification that has nothing to do with you, the ability to say no to sin, to be able to live for Jesus, but you want to do that, and you don't. So let's let's talk about it here. We're, we're going to look at verses 13 to 25 today. Let's first first, first of all focus on the question he asks in verse 13 of chapter 7. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Alright, so what's he talking about what is good here? He's, he's again, he's referencing the law because he talked about the law earlier. So now he's going to talk about a question that he anticipates his readers giving him. Because remember, the law basically is the opportunity for sin to take hold of your life. If you weren't told to do anything wrong, if you were told, don't do this. Okay, like for instance, if I said to you today, all right, how many coffee drinkers do we have here? How many of you like flavored Creamers, raise your hand, okay? Oh, just a few of you, okay? What if I told you today that do not drink the hazelnut? Don't drink the hazelnut. Won't do you any good. I guarantee you, some of you would be tempted to what? Drink the hazelnut. Simply just to what? Prove me wrong. Did you know what I'm saying? Or simply because somebody told you not to do it. That's what the law does. The law stirs up within you, we talked about that last week, passions and desires. Now here's what I want you to see. Paul anticipates the question that the law, which is good, has become evil. So here's what he's saying. If, if, if it's the law that sin uses to destroy my life, because that's what sin does, right? If it's the law that creates in me this opportunity for me to do wrong, then obviously the law is wrong. The law is bad. Okay? What is good is actually bad now. What is good is actually evil. That's what he's talking about here. 
Now, here's what Paul says. Paul uses strong language to express that he rejects this idea. So again, remember he said this throughout the whole his whole discussion through Romans so far. When he presents a question that he's anticipating that he thinks is ridiculous, he responds by saying, No way! Certainly not. Okay? He's trying to tell you it's not that God's law is bad. Because that's only natural that we would think that. Because if I didn't know God's law, then I wouldn't know what I shouldn't be doing, right? And then I wouldn't do what I shouldn't be doing. So, notice now, Paul's personal struggle. We're going to see that in verses 14 through 20. Paul's personal struggle. Look at what he says, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm cardinal, sold under sin. Look at what he says. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do not, if I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer me, but I who do it, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Okay, so let's let's take a look here. First of all, this is, the, this is the most controversial part of this whole passage. This is where people start questioning who's really writing here. What do you mean? Sounds like he's writing here. Well, let me give you. There's three views. The, the views concerning this, this passage. There's a couple of main views that are concerning this passage. Okay? There's actually three. I've only given you two. I'll mention the third one to you as well. <clears throat> Number one. The passage reflects Paul's life before becoming a believer. If you, how many of you, how many have ever heard of the holiness movement or holiness churches? You ever heard of that? Okay. Holiness churches are, are, are what's known as Arminian in their doctrine. Okay. Or Wesleyan in their doctrine. What's specific about a Wesleyan doctrine is this. Uh, Wesleyan, two main components is that they believe, number one, that you could possibly lose your salvation. They believe that it's possible for you to lose your salvation, number one. Number two, the other polarity of that is, is they believe that it is possible for you to reach perfection. What do you mean by that, George? Well, you could actually get to a point through Christ in your salvation that you... Don't sin anymore. You can go f- go with uh, for a period of time without sinning. Okay, folks who are from the holiness perspective, and I have relatives from this perspective, they believe 
that this is that there's no way Paul the Christian could have written this. That this had to be Paul the unbeliever writing this. He's reflecting on this struggle with sin. That can't be true for a Christian if you're walking in Christ. So this has to be Paul before salvation. Okay? So that's their view. That's what they hold to. I had a mentor that held to that. Very strongly held to that. Continually told me there's no way this could be Paul. Here's the problem. When you read your English translation, you can see, oh, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, how could that be Paul? As I'm new in Christ. How's that possible? Okay? Problem is, is the original language reflects that he's writing in the present tense. He's not writing in the past tense. He's writing about his situation currently. So that means the, the apostle, when he's writing this, is writing this about now when he's writing. Who, as an apostle... So that should comfort you, shouldn't it? How many of you struggle with sin and you just you want to stop and you can't stop? You know what I'm talking about. That's the struggle for all of us here. You don't raise your hand because we all struggle with that. Here's the apostle expressing what you and I know already, right? Okay. So this is this passage reflects Paul's life before becoming a believer. Here's the second one. This passage reflects Paul's current struggle as a believer. This is what I would hold to. This is what we would hold to at this, at this church. That what's going on here in Paul's life is um, really the struggle that you and I have on a daily basis as we try to live for Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and let's just call it what it is. It's a struggle, right? Paul is reflecting a reality of your Christian life, our Christian life, because he's talking about what he's dealing with. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Does that comfort you? Bruce says yes. Yeah, it, it should comfort you, right, to know. I mean, here's the apostle who wrote half of the New Testament, influenced the writers of a couple of other books in the New Testament, and he's saying... That which I want to do, I can't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Wow. He's talking about the struggle here. Now, you said there's a third view, George. Well, the third view, and, it, and, it, and I didn't even mention it, maybe I shouldn't even mention it to you, is that Paul is not writing about himself. He's writing about the perspective of an unbeliever, not himself. Okay? Meaningless. That's why I didn't put it in your notes. I don't even know why I mentioned it to you, other than to just speak more. Okay? Look at the issue now. Look at verse 14. Those are the two verses, so let's talk about verse 14. Here's what he says. Look at verse 14. For I know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, if you don't mind writing in your your Bible, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you really need to underline that what he just said there in verse 14. All right, here's what he's saying here. Here's what verse 14 is saying. Paul says the issue is not the law, but his own carnality and the tendency to sin. All right, let's stop for a moment. 
when you and I sin, when you and I do wrong, when you and I do what we know we shouldn't do, when you and I give in continually to know what we shouldn't do, the issue isn't that God told you not to do it. The issue isn't that some preacher told you not to do it. The issue isn't that it's written in God's word. The issue isn't the law. The issue is not that you are forbidden from doing it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even though that's a great compelling force there to do it. That's not the issue. The issue is is that you're carnal. What does that mean, George? You're bent towards sin. Your flesh is bent towards doing wrong. Does everybody understand that? Do you know what I mean? You've got you to grasp that. Yes, you're new in Jesus. Yes, you're accepted. But aren't you glad it's not about you? Because if it was about you, you would be in trouble. Because if it's just you, you look at yourself and you say, I mean, I'm always wanting to do what's wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what the nature of grace is. is Grace is what you don't deserve. So the issue isn't, Paul says, the issue isn't the law itself, because it's good. The issue is, is I'm, I'm wrong. I have a tendency to sin. Now here's the problem. That's countercultural. What do you mean, George? Because all of us, whether we like it or not, have been influenced by a thought that we're all good. All of us have been influenced by a thought that we're all good. I'm not like that axe murderer. I'm not like that guy I just saw get arrested for doing that and his pace is all over the paper. I'm not like that person. I'm good. You know, I'm not like these other people. I'm, I'm good, George. I'm good. I mean, the problem is, is our pride wants us to think that the issue isn't us. Well, I'm going to tell you something, folks. It is you. It is me. We're messed up. And you need to accept that. You and I are messed up. We live in a body that has been trained in sin, that desires to do sin, that is dominated by sin, and it's going to continue to want to influence you to do what? Sin. You're carnal. You need to understand that. You need to grasp that. Okay? You need to grasp that. So, look now. Look at what he, he continues there verse 15 and says, look at what verse 15 says. For what I'm doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Verse 15. Paul struggles to understand why he does what he does not want to do. Now, doesn't that sound like you and I? I mean, if you're a student of yourself, I'm going to be honest with you. You need to be a student of yourself. Let's just stop for a moment from our study for a second. Let me just encourage you with this point, okay? Here's the point I want you to be encouraged by, to do. You need to become a student of yourself. You really need to, rather than just going with the flow of who you are, you really need to be a student of yourself. Why do you do what you're doing? If you're getting older, you really need to do this. Okay? When you're younger, you don't really consider this. You don't really care. But when you get older, you need to care about it. You need to be concerned about, why do I keep doing the things that I know that are wrong? Okay? It, and it's not an exercise in futility because you need to be a student of yourself. How are you going to respond to this situation? Okay? Now, but here's what Paul says. As he studies himself, here's the frustration he has. 
I don't understand why I want to do what I don't want to do. They say, well, George, isn't that counterproductive? You just told me to be a student of myself. And what you're telling me is what Paul says, he's going to come to a conclusion that he doesn't understand why he's doing what he's doing. I don't need to figure that out. I already know that. Well, here's the thing you need to understand. We're going to follow his thought a little bit. You're going to see that he comes to a conclusion, and that's where each of us has to come to. You and I have to come to a place of a conclusion. And that's where we're going to end up at the end of our study. Because I want you to see something here. You've got to work through the process in your mind about this issue of your struggle. You've got to come to some conclusion about it. Okay? For many of you, you can't even get past the first step because you maybe got a pride issue and you don't think there's a problem. Okay? Now look look with me, verse 16. Verse 16, Paul says this. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Here's what he's saying. By sinning, Paul finds himself agreeing with the law. Do you understand what I'm saying? By sinning, Paul finds himself agreeing with the law. By sinning, I end up confirming that I got a problem. I got a sin issue going on here. I'm just confirming what the law says. But then notice verse 17, he talks about the reality of sin. He says this, But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. What's he talking about here? Paul recognizes it is a result of sin's power and influence in his life. All right, now let's stop for a moment. What's he saying here? Paul looks and he says, look, that which I don't want to do, I end up doing. And what I'm doing, when I do the stuff that I don't want to do, I'm proving that the law is right, that the law is good. But I'm also proving something else. That there is something more dominant in my life. And what's more dominant in my life is that power of sin. Did you understand what I'm saying? So listen, when you're a student of yourself, let's say you're struggling with an issue, okay? Let, let's, let's just let's stop for a moment. Let's, I don't want to be specific about specific sins. I'll just talk about sin in general, okay? Let's say you're struggling with a sin. You put your name of whatever sin is in, the, in that category, okay? Let's say you're struggling with that sin. And as you become a student of yourself and you're trying to understand why do I give into this all the time? Why do I continually cave? Why do I do this? Paul says you're doing two things, okay? When you, when you, when you realize that, when you understand where you're at, when you even don't understand where you're at, when you process that and you process the sin in your life, you're doing two things. Number one, you're showing that God's law is right. Number one, because you're doing wrong. Number two, he's also showing, you got, this is the point I want you to grasp, that you have a power in your life that's out of your, that's out of control. You have allowed something to become dominant in your life. 
And that's the power of sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the power of whatever issue that is controlling you. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've allowed that issue to have control in your life. And some people, I'll be honest with you, have so much control they lose their minds. What do you mean lose their minds? Well, that's that's kind of a Bible concept. What do you mean? Think about the prodigal when he left. Well, it doesn't say he lost his mind. Well, it does say that when he was laying after eating pig food and thinking about what was back home and, 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 and all the abundance that was back home that he left to go do his own thing, it said he came to his what? Senses. He lost his mind in sin. You can lose your mind in sin. And the reality is, is that when you come to your senses, you realize that there is something stronger in my life. So, okay, I'll give you an example. We used to have a Celebrate Recovery program here. We had people who were struggling with addictions. One of the things you, you tell people is, change your friends. Because it might be the influences. Change where you hang out at. You know, if you're struggling with alcoholism, you don't go to the bar. You know what I'm saying? You don't park in front of the, 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 uh, the liquor store. You know what I'm saying? You don't order a beer when you're at a restaurant. You begin to recognize what's feeding the power in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're feeding it with something. So Paul's recognizing here, look, that what's going on here, he recognizes that his giving in continually is the result of sin's power and influence in his life. Okay? He's talking about sin's power and influence. Now look at here, verse 18. Look at what he says, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, okay? King James, New King James says flesh. It's not sin nature. In your body, okay? In your body, nothing good dwells. You've got that power of sin within you. For... The will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. What's going on here? Verse 18. He's understanding himself. This is where you and I need to get to. When you're struggling with sin, you need to get to this point of understanding yourself. What's he saying here? He's recognizing that there is nothing good in his flesh, but he does not know what to do. All right, you've got to come to a place. See, this is coming to the end of yourself. What we just described here is called coming to the end of yourself. You and I have to come to a place where we realize, I ain't that good. Set my pride aside. Set what who I think I am or what people think of me aside. I ain't that good. I am messed up. Now here's adding to the problem. Here's it's almost like a futile. It's like man, George, you're talking about futility here. Listen to what he's saying. We got to follow his argument. We got to follow his argument. He's going to come to a conclusion. He's going to come to a conclusion. The conclusion will set you free, but you got to follow the argument. You got to follow the process. Part of the process is recognizing I ain't that good. And number two, I can't do anything about it. Wow, that just blows you away when you think about that, doesn't it? 
Well, wait a minute, George. I, I came here to be encouraged about how can I overcome this? How can I overcome the issue that I'm struggling with in my life? And, and, and yeah, I recognize I'm not good, but you just told me something I don't want to know. And what did I just tell you? I told you that uh, you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to deal with it. You've got to come to that place of right. That's coming to the end of yourself. You've got to come to the end of yourself of recognizing that there's nothing good in me and I don't know how to deal with it. Okay? Here's the thing. Look now at verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Here's the reality. Here's the current actions. Paul cannot do do the good that he wants to do as he does what he does not want to do. Paul cannot do the good that he wants to do as he does what he does not want to do. He's talking about the issue here of his current actions. Now look with me, verse 20, we see the power of sin. Now if it's no, if it is I, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Here's what he's saying. He recognizes the power of sin in his body as he does what he does not want to do. So listen, when you sin, to the same old thing over and over and over again. Here's what it's revealing. Are you ready? Here's the aha moment. Power of sin's real in your life. Now some of you are like, okay, wow, George, we just spent 15 minutes going through his thought here. I already knew that. Yeah. We need to be reminded of that. That's the struggle that you and I have as believers, as Christians. Period. You need to understand that. We need to go on now to verse 21 and the following verses after that. So look with me, verse 21 to 24. Here's his conclusion. Here's his assessment. Paul says this. I find in a law that evil is present with me the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. All right, so let me help you to understand his assessment here, his conclusion, okay? Let me help you to understand. First of all, look with me at verse 21. Paul sees the reality of evil still working in him as he seeks to do what is right. All right, so this is his assessment. Here's, And this is the assessment that all of us have to come to. Do you understand? When you become a Christian, you aren't perfect. The fact of the matter is that you're still going to keep doing what? Sin. And your unsafe friends see that, right? 
They see your warts. They see your bad things that you do. They see your attitudes. Like, I come to from them. How many of you, have, I've been a believer now 30 years, and, and in my 30 years, I have been perfect every day in my attitude. Have I, Lori? What's that? Well, you're not going to be in trouble because you're going to aid me, okay? I mean, you would be in trouble if you said yes. Oh, you'll say it, okay. But Joy can get in trouble, okay? Look, you're not going to be perfect because it's not possible. Do you understand that? That's Paul's assessment here. Paul's assessment is, is that he sees the reality of evil in himself. Do you see the reality of evil within you? Now, for some of us, that's a hard pill to swallow because we've got a pretty good view of ourselves compared to somebody else. Did you know what I'm saying? He sees the reality of evil within us. The struggle. Let's go on. Look with me what he says, verse 22. Inwardly, Paul delights in the word of God and seeks to do it. See, inwardly, in his heart of hearts, though, Paul wants to do what's right. He's, he's excited about Jesus. He's excited about the forgiveness. He's excited about the grace. He's excited about how God answers prayers. He's excited about God. Inside, he's like, I want to serve you, Jesus. But he's got another problem going on. He's in a body of flesh dominated by what? Sin. Evil. Did you know what I'm saying? Paul said, this is his assessment. You've got to come to this place. You've got to come to this place. It's not a futile process. You've got to come to the place of working through it, of recognizing it. I'm messed up, and I can't do anything about it. And there's this power within me that wants to do wrong. But with my mind, I want to serve Jesus. Listen. That's why you got a struggle going on. See, if you didn't have a struggle, here's the thing. Here's one of the signs that you can usually tell where people are at as far as their salvation. If people go and just continue to do wrong and sin and they have no conscience about it, no, no heartbreak, no whatever, if you quietly talk to them about it, chances are they're probably not saved. Because if you are a believer in Christ... You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have been given a new mind. And there's going to be a desire that comes from the Spirit within you to do what's right, even though you're continuing to do wrong. And so you're going to be conflicted. Did you understand what I'm saying? When You show me a person that has no conscience or no conflict in their life about the stuff they're doing, but yet they say they love Jesus. i got questions. Because that's not normal. You just don't do sin without being broken over it. This is what we're talking about. It's a struggle here. He has an inward delight. So here, verse 23, he's going to talk about that struggle. I was just telling you. Look at it. The power of sin in Paul's life struggles against his new mind in Christ. All right, so let me just stop for a moment. It's possible that some of you in your church background here have been in churches where 
you felt less than as a Christian because you were struggling with sin and the, and the, and the, and what was being communicated to you that if you're in Jesus, you should be okay and there shouldn't be any struggle with sin. But you realized in your own heart of hearts, I'm still struggling. I'm still dealing with this issue. But you couldn't say anything to anybody about it because the concept in church was, you need to have your act together. You need to be perfect. You need to do this. You were operating under a lie. Because here's reality. The struggle does exist. And Paul is saying the power of sin in his life struggled against what? The new mind that he had in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to have that struggle. Are you ready for this? The rest of your life. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have that struggle the rest of your life. You say, is it not possible to get over something that I'm dealing with? Oh, yeah, it's possible. It's possible to get over what you're dealing with. But the problem is, is that that's not the only issue that you're struggling with, is it? That's not the, I mean, I remember when I got saved, okay? I got saved at 19. I was a freshman at the University of South Carolina, finishing up my freshman year. And I wasn't a church guy, I didn't go to church. I, I, I smoked, I drank, I had a mouth like a sailor, even though I grew up in the Army, okay? Tells you Army guys curse just as bad, all right? So, and, and you know what, when, when God saved me, He dealt with the smoking. I mean, it's 29 years I've never had touched another cigarette. Dealt with the drinking. The language disappeared almost immediately. And he changed some outward sin. Now, did that mean that George was perfect? Well, you just heard my wife. Okay? Because I'm not. And if you've interacted with me, you know that I'm not perfect, right? You better say yes, okay? I've got news for you. You're not perfect either. Because here's the thing. You can overcome issues and get them under control, but you're going to continually fight other issues. Here's what God's doing. 30 years later, he's still showing me stuff now that I need to change. In fact, here's some of my prayers lately. God, why couldn't I have dealt with this sooner? Why couldn't I have dealt with this 30 years ago? Well, I probably couldn't have handled dealing with it 30 years ago. Did you understand what I'm saying? I had to come to a place of understanding. Paul recognizes his assessment and plea is, is that the power of sin struggles against this reality of the new mind. So here, notice verse 24. Here's his, here's his plea. And that's where all of us are at here, I think, right? Look at what he says, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? You been there? I hope you have. Here's what he's saying. Paul asks, who is able to deliver him from a body that gives into sin leading to death? 
Paul asks, who's able to deliver him? Who's able to... We already know the answer to this, right? Look with me, verse 25. Paul thanks God for deliverance through Jesus Christ. Now notice, I want you to read how it reads. Look at verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that phrase, through Jesus Christ our Lord, I want you to notice something here. Here's what it's communicating. He thanks God for deliverance. Because that deliverance comes through who? Jesus Christ. So this doesn't have to be a defeating thing for you. Why? Because here's the final assessment. Here's his conclusion. So then, with my mind, I serve the... My, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Here's what he's saying. With his new mind in Christ, he serves the law of God as his body serves the law of sin. All right, so what's the conclusion here? This is, this is where, this is where it's radical. This is why some people don't necessarily agree with this, but this is what it's communicating. He comes to a conclusion, folks. The conclusion is, as long as he's in this body, he's going to what? Okay, so everybody understand that. I I want everybody to say, as long as you are in this body, you're going to what? Okay, say that with me. As long as I'm in this body, I'm going to sin. Alright? As long as I'm in this body, I'm going to sin. You've got to come to that conclusion. Now, that's not an excuse to go do it, okay? Let me just stop. I'm just giving you the reality. As long as you're in this body, you're going to sin. But here's what you're going to be thankful for. See, in that one phrase, through Christ, he just summed up all of the six chapters that we just went through. What do you mean, George? He just summed up that we were condemned before God, chapters 1 through 3, Then, four and five, that my justification has nothing to do with myself. It has to do with who? Jesus and what he's done for me and my faith in him. And that sin no longer has the power over me and I need to not yield my... He just summed it up. Deliverance is provided through Jesus. I thank God. Through Jesus. What he did for me. But I live with the reality that I'm going to sin. But with my mind. With my heart, I'm going to serve who? Christ, until I go to be with him. See, I don't know if I agree with that, George. I don't know if I agree with that. Hey, let's go to another apostle. The apostle John, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, he's, in his, he's older at this time. He's about 80 years old when he writes this. My little children, I write unto you that you sin not. He's telling you not to sin. But here, notice what he says in the next phrase. But if you do, what's the assumption? You're going to sin. You have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation, the anointing sacrifice, the wrath satisfier for your sin, but not only your sin, for whose sin? The sins of the world. See, this is the conclusion. Yes, you and I struggle. The struggle's going to be there, but my deliverance isn't in me. Did you hear that? 
Your deliverance isn't in your ability to overcome whatever the issue is that you're struggling with. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you need to hear that. Your deliverance is not in your ability to overcome it. Your deliverance is in who? Jesus. Jesus. 